0: Ian, how are you?
1: I'm not too bad. I think tuning myself up for the U.S. election yes, in a couple of days.
0: It's of very exciting. Are you um, excited for it? Any predictions you want to let us know?
1: <laughs> well, I won't make any predictions, but I guess um, exciting, but also quite nervous. I can only I can remember when I was watching the debates. It's kind of like watching a football match where your 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 team is playing, and you're just hoping that you're. Your team doesn't kind of lose and go it goes all wrong and, and really that's what it's going to be like you know i think it's almost like a uh, a world cup campaign and you're coming to the culmination of it now and so it's exciting but quite nervous in some senses as well
0: well i think we'll circle back around to um the u.s election in a bit but um okay. tell me a little bit about yourself and what brought you to cardiff
1: i i guess where to start um Well, like I guess all you guys, I ended up, I went to university. Um, I actually went to Swansea University. So I came to Wales uh, when I was 18 and I just really, you know, I know there are probably some academics you might speak to who kind of when they were five years old, they wanted to be an academic. Um, I wasn't really like that. I was probably experienced my undergraduate degree, probably like most of you did in the sense of I quite enjoyed it. Um, I was interested in the subject, but didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life as it were um and so ended up doing a master's that went pretty well um was given the opportunity to do a phd so i did that in swansea still so i stayed in swansea and then uh, i went and worked in bristol university for a couple of years um and then came back to cardiff because my uh my wife's from cardiff so i was living here so it was not ideal kind of opportunity And came and worked at a research centre in Cardiff University called Wizard, which is the Wales Institute for Social Economic Research, Data and Methods.
0: Um, It really rolls off the tongue then.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, That's why we called it Wizard. But as you can imagine, when I went and gave kind of conference papers there, I had to put up with an awful lot of kind of Harry Potter jokes um, for that kind of two or three years that I was working there. And then I kind of moved into the uh, Department of Politics and International Relations. So that's kind of my journey. And it's really, from coming from where I'm from to, to to Wales and to Swansea when I was 18, which is far too long ago now, and never really going away. And, uh, you know, settling in Cardiff now, because it's kind of where my wife's family's from. And and so, yeah, that's how I ended up here.
0: So y- you seem to have quite a, a wide range of sort of specialities or interests. I mean, you range from sort of in-depth UK public policy to, to the US as well. That's quite, quite broad. Could you tell us about like whether you like having sort of like a broad range and, and what you're most interested in and how you came to this point uh, teaching-wise?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, my, my background and kind of what I did my PhD in was very much um, its public policy and its devolution and territorial politics, particularly in a UK context, but comparatively as well. So most of the research that I've done over the years um, on various different projects that I've done with colleagues has been orientated around that. And that's part of what I teach at Cardiff. So I teach... Obviously, sex and drugs and public policy in the final year, but then at masters level, I teach the public policy core module and also a devolution public policy module. Um, but there's only a certain amount of kind of finite uh, kind of amount of teaching you can do in those kind of areas. They're relatively niche, um, so it's a case of diversifying what I'm teaching to other things that I'm interested in, and that's where U.S. politics came in. Um, so it's having conversations with kind of heads of the department at that point in time, or what would you like to teach? in addition to that to kind of diversify the kind of offer that we're giving students. And that's when I started teaching us politics. And I've been doing that for, uh, or four or five years now, I think. So that's kind of how it's happened. Um, and I quite enjoy it because, you know, my, my research, as I say, is focused on public policy. It's focused on devolution. uh, A lot of my teachings on that as well. And it's quite nice to actually do a bit of teaching in something different, almost as a kind of a little bit of a holiday. So us politics is my holiday every year that I take, uh, in the autumn. And then for the rest of the year, I'm focusing in on my kind of, you know, uh, public policy stuff.
0: That makes sense, to be fair. I suppose having that wide range makes it more interesting. Do you have um, an interesting political figure you've ever met that you'd like to talk about? Like the most interesting?
1: <laughs> Not really. I, I, I've, I've led a relatively sheltered life, if I'm honest, uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. Um, I've done some interesting interviews over the years not always the people I was interviewing, but where I was interviewing them. So I can remember interviewing someone in uh, the Greater London Authority when Boris Johnson was mayor of London. And I was interviewing what was a relatively senior um, official within uh, the Greater London Authority. And we're halfway through the interview, it was going, okay, it's quite a, about quite a boring subject. So I went, let's say about housing and things like that. Um, and anyway, suddenly this guy kind of jumps up from the table and, and points out in the window and goes, there he is. I said, oh, and he said there is our our master and he says it in a, in a fairly derogatory kind of way pointing down at boris johnson who's kind of ambling towards the hall so i've had experiences like that i wouldn't say i've met i guess any kind of particularly interesting or kind of high profile political figures that you guys would go wow that's fascinating partly because of the kind of research that i do i i'm quite often kind of interviewing uh kind of you know local authority leaders and things like that in in far-flung parts, you know, desirable parts of the country like Port Albert and Middlesbrough and things like that. So um, in, in comparison to my other colleagues, I perhaps haven't met some of the kind of, you know, the high-profile superstars that I know some of my other colleagues have done over the years. Um, okay. Yeah, so it t- tends to be slightly kind of, um, you know, officials in Whitehall and things like that. I've had some interesting... Uh, adventures so once i almost wasn't allowed into the uh london authority because I, i've got a metal pin in my leg from when i was playing football and um i didn't get through the metal detector system and so they almost ejected me and didn't let me c- come into the building so but but that's the level of interestingness <laughs> if i'm honest so it's not that interesting
0: so you mentioned that you sort of, you know, you, you, you have all these meetings with these people. Do you, do you have, does your research have an impact on any policy?
1: Not majorly. I, I wouldn't say I've kind of shifted the whole agenda. So there's one or two colleagues I know from different schools in Cardiff University who have done that. Uh, but most of my analysis is really around um, understanding how decision making has worked. And so why certain things have changed, why certain things have happened. So it's less really trying to influence the upcoming agenda. So I'm not really kind of prescriptive in that kind of way, you know, going and talking to people and saying, this is what should happen. It's more trying to understand what happened in the past, what have been the key issues, what have been the potential, I guess, mistakes, the justification for how we understand why certain things were done and not done. So it's always difficult to tell whether you're actually influencing policy unless you're kind of going out there and recommending we should be doing this. Uh, And that's not the kind of research that I've done in the past, if I'm honest. so I can't put my finger on something like I have changed the world in this kind of way. Um, But on the other hand, I have kind of fed into certain uh, kind of debates at different times, you know, given evidence, for example, to the All Wales Convention that was happening uh, quite a while ago now, a decade or so ago, looking at further powers in Wales and things. So I have done that kind of work. It's it's quite interesting. It's quite rewarding. But to actually, I guess, to change policy, you really need to be kind of lobbying quite a lot and getting involved. And that's kind of not 100% what I'm really interested in doing as as an academic. I don't really want to be a a policy entrepreneur to use that kind of language, if you know what I mean.
0: Throughout your sort of research career and stuff, like you mentioned, you've been interviewing people and obviously doing research. What's been sort of like the most has there been anything that's been really frustrating that like maybe you've come across an obstacle or something
1: i think and again any of any of undergraduates or postgraduates who do research and try to do interviews themselves it's always trying to interview the people that you really want to speak to but they're just too busy and that's really tough right um and you try and persevere, and you really kind of chip away, and try and do it, and and and, and contact people. And sometimes people just don't want to play ball. Just sometimes they just say no, um, and that's the most frustrating thing. Particularly if you've done a series of interviews with people that have worked really well, and you think if I could just talk to this person, whoever it might be, a civil servant or uh, a politician, you think if I could just talk to that person, then that would, you know, I'd be really happy with everything that I've got here. And and when you just don't get that. Um, and you've got that barrier, and that's a barrier for everyone. Um, I, can mar- I can remember going to a conference where there was a, a really kind of eminent professor working in the kind of field, of Rod Rhodes, who you probably have heard of if you did doing the module of this at the moment. Um, and he was talking about, oh, he did this amazing piece of research where he um, went and observed how Whitehall departments worked, and he would effectively sit next to the permanent secretary and observe what was going on. Uh, and he said it was amazing. And he gave us all these fascinating insights. And he said, well, you should all be doing this. And I was like, well, you're Professor Rod Rhodes, one of the most you know, uh, famous kind of professors in the UK. You've got access. You can do that. And at that point in time, I think I had just finished my PhD. And I think, well, the chances of me getting this, I can ask, but it's probably quite slim. So it's probably that, the frustration of not getting the access that you really want. Having said that, having worked in Wales for a, quite a while now and doing variety of different projects it's not normally an issue anymore particularly in a welsh context particularly as you get to know more people for example in the welsh government and the different political parties it's less of an issue um, it sometimes can depend on what you're researching so the more sensitive it is as a topic area then those barriers can come up um, but some of the things i've i've focused on over the years aren't hugely politically sensitive and therefore people are more than happy to talk to you because quite often no one else wants to talk to them You know, if you're a civil servant working in a particular field, it's quite likely that people aren't really talking to you every day about what you're doing, what you, you know, what were the barriers, how you overcame overcame them. uh, And therefore they want to talk. And so it's less of an issue, but it can be frustrating when it happens. That's probably the biggest frustration over the years is really not being able to talk to the people you really want to uh, for whatever reason.
0: From the other end of the spectrum, um, what do you find kind of like the most rewarding and enjoyable? I imagine when you do get those kind of interviews and you kind of break through that barrier, that must be really rewarding.
1: Yeah, it's really rewarding. And plus, I think a lot of the research that I tend to do is, is when you find information that's not in the public domain, that, you know, uh, it's a sometimes government and, and policymaking can be a bit of a black box. And and therefore, It's really hard to understand from the outside looking in. And so it was when you go and do an interview with someone or several interviews and they come together and you've got the data across all of them that actually begins to paint a picture, at least of people's perceptions of how things are working and what's important. And if you hadn't done those interviews, you just wouldn't know. And that's when you get those kind of kind of slightly kind of eureka kind of moments that, wow, you know, this is information that no one else knows. No one else has gone out and found and I found it, and uh, I'm going to put it together, and you know, publish it, and, and get it out there, and just enhancing your understanding of what's happening, and that's really the most uh, enjoyable part of of doing research, is actually getting out there and speaking to people and talking to people. For me, at least, I know you know colleagues, some colleagues who work more with perhaps you know quantitative data, maybe kind of you know when you're putting the data in and getting the results out at the other end, and that can be equally rewarding. But for me, it's actually Going out in the field and talking to people and trying to understand the world from their perspective and what the key issues are, because you can't replicate that at your desk. You know, you can look at um, loads of information from the internet, you can look at lots of policy papers, you can do all of that, um, but it's not really giving you uh, their insights, um, their their views of what was important, what were important, what wasn't important, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, the barriers, the obstacles, whatever it might be. And it's actually tapping into those. It's quite exciting. And it's about really feeling like you're creating knowledge when you're doing it. And that for me is the really exciting part of the whole kind of process, I guess.
0: Going back to what you mentioned about doing stuff that can't be done from your desk. um, If I kind of bring lockdown into this, uh, how have you found lockdown and has it been frustrating or a good break or...
1: Yeah, well, everything I've just said there is really research orientated, Um, and the way I guess research quite often works is that quite often you're you're, you go through phases. So you're collecting data, doing interviews, and then you're writing up, you're analysing it. And I'm in the phase at the moment, which happened to coincide when uh, this year with lockdown, that I was in a process of writing up previous research. Um, So we're writing a me and a couple of colleagues are currently writing a book. And uh, in some senses, that's been good because it means I've not been attempting to do fieldwork and interview people whilst, you know, uh, we've had lockdown. So I've not had that source of frustration. Although I have uh, several students who have been doing their master's dissertations and actually they found interviewing not a problem. So we're doing it like we are now. But actually, just writing up the work's been hard enough. So it's been pretty tough lockdown, I would say. Particularly earlier on in the year, I know in uh, uh, for you guys who are second and third years, last semester was really tough. But you know it's tough. I found it very tough as well. My kids were home, so we were homeschooling. So it's trying to continue with my teaching whilst doing homeschooling, uh, whilst trying to write up a bit of the research as well. And again, quite a lot at the time, I was feeling I was kind of there's only so many hours in the day, um, and so you. To a certain extent, you feel like you're banging your head against a bit of a brick wall at times. And it's been a little bit better this, you know, this lockdown or this period, partly because the kids are at school. So I'm not having to kind of try and teach them, which um, kind of went kind of okay, I think. I don't think I've put them back too far in their education.
0: That's good. Um, How do they um, relate to teaching undergraduates? Any, any comparison?
1: <laughs> um, I think it depends. It's, it's quite different. So I was teaching my son and my son is, is incredibly compliant. Yeah. So you ask him to do it, he will do it, but he's very easily distracted. So his mind will wander very quickly. And so we had a lot of fun and we mucked around quite a lot, if I'm honest. So I don't think I was the most kind of, you know, diligent, diligent teacher. And I don't get paid. Yeah. I, I don't get paid for that. So I, you know, it was a little bit, uh, haphazard at times. Um, how does it compare? You know, I, I like to think that a lot of my undergraduate students are actually quite passionate about what they're doing. not all of them are, if I'm being honest. And so I guess there is a little bit like that. Some of the things I did with my son he was quite passionate about, and that has reminded me of a couple of seminars I've had over the years where some of them have been brilliant and others perhaps everyone in the room would rather not be in the room at that point in time, perhaps maybe. Um, but I like to think maybe that that few and far between perhaps, but yeah. That's as I'll be. That's as diplomatic as I can be.
0: No, completely fair enough. Again, lockdown. Do you have any tips for anyone? Like, how did you cope through lockdown? Any good habits you had or routines or anything?
1: Everyone's different, so everyone has different routines that work for them. I think for myself, the biggest danger I found is that you're because your desk is your home. That there is a danger that you just keep working and working and working. That that may not necessarily be a challenge for you guys as students. But it might be. So it's about knowing when to stop to say, okay, I need to have a break because the danger is you just keep working. Mm -hmm. and Particularly if you've got a deadline coming up, so for some of you guys in your assessments, that you just continuously work and work. And the risk is really burning out. Mm -hmm. And so it's about building into your day bits where you can actually say, I'm going to stop and have a break for an hour. And that was really easy in the last lockdown because the weather was nice and we could go outside. So you go and sit in the garden for an hour Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of you know get yourself back together again before going back to work um i haven't quite mastered that this semester because it's been so busy so i've not been very good um at, at kind of marshalling my time so i just continue working if i have to to get kind of lectures recorded and done and things like that um but i would say it's planning your time giving yourself realistic goals that you can achieve in a day so you actually kind of achieve them and leave your desk and actually kind of Re, kind of, you know, almost restore the batteries kind of, you know, and, and that's quite important, I think, because otherwise you can just burn out um, and give yourself a time away from your computer. Because, you know, we will all end up looking at screens, um, even socially, you know, seeing people on Zoom. Try and limit the amount of Zoom chats you have per day, because I personally find if I spend more than two or three hours on Zoom in a day, my brain starts kind of, you know, leaking. it just
0: kind of goes to mush a bit, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I know with you guys, there's quite heavy workloads this semester, I think, and it's getting used to them. And that's one thing is getting used to them. But the other thing is also planning your time and allowing yourselves to kind of, you know, also have that relaxation point rather than continuously working, because that doesn't do you any good when it comes to actually doing your assessments when you're sitting there. That's probably my best advice. I'm not, I'm not very, I'm sure my wife would say I'm not a very good person to give advice because I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily, con- you know, order my time very well at times. There we go. We're
0: going to end with some quick fire questions, if that's okay with okay. you. Uh, so, firstly, what colour is your toothbrush?
1: White and blue. I think it's an electric one.
0: Ketchup or mayo? Ketchup. UK or US politics? <sighs> that's
1: a hard question. Isn't it? It's meant to be quick fire, isn't it? Yeah, they're
0: meant to be quick fire. Yeah.
1: <sighs> at the moment.
0: What does your gut tell you? Gut instinct.
1: Don't have a gut instinct on that. Sorry, this is rubbish, isn't it? This is the worst quick fire round in the world. I'll say, you know, because of the election. I'll say US politics because of the elections on Tuesday. Okay, okay. Cardiff or Swansea. Swansea. Okay.
0: Um Boris or Trump?
1: <laughs> that's it. That's a that's a hell of a choice, isn't it? Um for entertainment value alone, Trump. March lockdown or November lockdown. March lockdown.
0: Pepsi or Coke?
1: Pepsi, Max not yes. full fat Pepsi Max.
0: And one final question that we had uh, that many people on your um, module were interested in. How's your bathroom going? Oh, it's finished. The remodeling, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's finished. Um, uh, yeah, very happy with it. It got done before lockdown as well. So that's a bonus. Um, so yeah, I'm now back in my study. hence. so it's next door. It's been finished and it's done. And that's great. In the last lockdown, we actually had our kitchen ripped out. Uh, before the lockdown, so um, we're not we're not very good at planning when to have major building work done on our house. And so that's, that's good. good.
0: Yes, yeah. so I think we all just felt like we were going on this journey with you a bit, um, with all the the times you mentioned it. So we just wanted to, to make sure it was all okay.
1: Well, I, I had to. I, I felt I had to explain why the location of my lectures was changing.
0: Well, it adds a bit of extra scenery. It makes it you just add more. And if
1: you'd, if you'd been eagle-eyed, you also would have noticed that the in in the bedroom where I was recording some of my lectures, the colours of the wall changed halfway through because I actually painted that room. So if you were really eagle-eyed, you would have noticed that.
0: I have to say, I don't think I managed to pick out that detail. But
1: oh well, there you go.
0: Yeah, obviously, I'll need to go back and rewatch them all just to exactly sure.
1: that, that. might be a quiz question on my uh, one of my assessments, perhaps the two colours of the walls.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today.